written that individuals think of Jesus as a milk toast, going around saying everything is good, everything is perfect. Um, you know, in today's world, we'd think they weren't a realist. But Jesus was anything other than milk toast, some soft, cushy individual. We know, and we'll study some more, about Jesus throwing the vendors out of the temple in anger. We know when he was with the devil, he struck out uh, to the devil using scriptures. We know that he had the courage to enter Jerusalem. Peter tried to talk him out of it. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That was his mission. In the business world, and in charitable organizations. I frequently see mission statements drawn up by, say, hospitals, churches, but certainly businesses. Business people write out their mission statements. And Jesus Christ, he knew what his mission was. And he knew the price he'd have to pay. Three times before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he tried to explain to the disciples what was waiting him, telling them that he wouldn't be around long. And that night in the upper room, as they had Passover, Jesus, for the fourth time, told them. And they were in total denial. They could not understand how things could change so radically. Jesus looked down on Jerusalem as he sat on a coat and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you have turned your back on your prophets. You continue to turn your back on the one sent by God himself. He wept. You remember another time he wept when his friend Lazarus laid in the tomb because the family of Lazarus were the two sisters, Mary and Martha, were so distraught, and he loved them so much, we know that he was close to this family. And the shortest scripture in the Bible, two words. He wept. He wept. See, he wept for those that he loved, just like you and I do. When we see someone we love that is really distraught, it it really tears at us. We want to comfort them. Jesus loved Jerusalem. But he also knows that the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, would be turning their back once again on a prophet. But this prophet was the Messiah. He knew that they turned their back on John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was speaking nothing but the truth. But the religious leaders, especially Herod, was challenged by him and the truth that he spoke. So he was beheaded just a short time before Jesus entered Jerusalem. Some individuals would say that this book is nothing but fiction. And it should be placed as such in any library, if they would allow it to be in any library. It's total fiction. And yet, I've had the pleasure of having two books that were written by individuals that were atheists, that eventually, they, after doing all their research, because they were very technical people, and after all the research, their conclusion was, Jesus was truly the Messiah. The Word tells us that unless we have the faith of a child, Kobe, I know you and Dan Lee are children, and neither are these other guys, but thank you for being my illustration. But unless we have the faith of a child, we will never enter into the kingdom of God. You see, the older we get, the more we kind of pat ourselves on the back and think we're pretty smart and that we know something. And so the older we get, then we try to shoot holes in this story and say, no, this couldn't have happened. Maybe this was just figuratively speaking. Maybe he didn't really arise from the tomb. Maybe they're just talking about his word being passed on. But physically, he did not. You see what I mean? Beating it to death and saying, it just doesn't make sense. How could this happen? But it did. But it did. You see this book, the holy book, has been blessed by God. Let me just read to you a little bit regarding this book. And you'll marvel, at least I have been, marveling that it ever came together into one book. And that in itself is a miracle. There's two great sections, the Old and New Testaments. There are 66 books in this Bible. There's 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses written by over 40 authors, and the newest part of it is over 2,000 years old. And most of those authors, or many of them, certainly the disciples knew each other, but so many of them did not even know each other. And yet, when you see the writings of David, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, you see those writings in which they are proclaiming hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. Ezekiel was about 650 years before Christ. David, there's not an exact time in there when that was, but it was even older. And David is supposedly written by maybe two or three authors. But it's just a miracle in and of itself that that many books that were written in several languages 
three, if I'm not mistaken, Hebrew, uh, Roman, and also the Greek language. All of these books came together. And yet, as you study this book, you will see in the Old Testament the connection to the New Testament. You see the prophecies that come to fruition that lead to the resurrection and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And then in the other books, like written by Paul, his teachings are all about Jesus Christ, about love and kindness, forgiveness, mercy, grace. These books all come together. And it's, there's no way that this could happen as an accident. They come together because of divine intervention. And that's the reason I say this book is a holy book. This book is a miracle. And each part of it that you read, you can easily accept the fact that it was inspired by God Himself. It is a holy book. It is a holy book. Prior to Jesus entering Jerusalem, He was... Jesus was a guest of, of uh, I'm sorry, folks. He was a guest of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They lived in Bethany, and Bethany was just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And you'll see in the scriptures, at the end of his days, they say that the scripture says that he went back to Bethany. It doesn't say he went back to their house, but you could assume that because he was so close to that family. That was his pattern, and yet the night that Judas brought the soldiers to arrest Jesus, they were in the, uh, in the garden, the olive garden. It was not his normal pattern. He could have left the area but he chose to stay. He didn't run and hide. No, he was not a milk toast. He had courage. As Jesus was preparing to, preparing to go to Jerusalem, In John, the 12th chapter, the first verse. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany with Lazarus, where Lazarus, who who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a, a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of costly anointment oil and placed it, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his, his feet with her hair. And the, uh, the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
Judas tried to shun Mary for doing this because this oil is very valuable. And he points out that that could have been used to help serve the needy. And yet the scripture says the only reason he wanted to sell it is because he was the treasurer and he was getting his fingers into the kitty, you might say. So he had something else in mind other than the uh, good nature of let's help those that cannot help himself. But Jesus said, let her alone. She, she has kept this for... Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. The next verse, 12th chapter again, the ninth verse, talks about the, the legal Sadducees, Pharisees, plotting to kill Lazarus as well. For this story of Jesus raising Lazarus has spread throughout Jerusalem. Even those that had come in, come in from other countries had heard about this miracle about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So it was the intent to kill Lazarus to do away with that story because he was backing up everything that Jesus had said and doing away with him and at the right proper time then killing Jesus. So there was a lot of drama that was going on at this time. As we saw this morning with the young people coming in and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means Savior. Savior. The Son of God. The Son of David. Hosanna. Obviously because they're calling Him the Savior, the everyday people, the children, so forth. Then this is very disturbing to the religious leaders. And they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to. But they couldn't do it when he was surrounded by the multitude. And this was every time he was teaching. There were those in and around him. Large numbers. And they were afraid, even the guards that were sent to bring him in, they said, there's too many. We feel like that there would be an uprising if we did this. So they had to wait, not knowing that Judas was going to give him the, the proper time. In Matthew, the 21st chapter, the fourth verse, all of this was done that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, and this is Zechariah that wrote this 520 years before Christ. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. 520 years before Christ and the fulfillment of that, it wasn't an accident that he rode in on that donkey. When he went up to Joseph, pardon me, John to be baptized, when he went to John to be baptized, John looked at him and said, 
this shouldn't be. You ought to be baptizing me because you are the one without blemish, without sin. And Jesus said, let us do this in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Once again, Jesus is fulfilling the Scriptures and those that are in tune with what had been written knew of the fulfillment. And you can, you can be assured that the religious leaders did not miss the implications of Jesus coming in on that donkey. They knew in his silent way, without telling people, I am the Messiah, they knew what he was saying. That he was fulfilling the Old Testament schools. Another one that is also in the 21st chapter of Matthew And this one is the ninth verse. It said, Then the multitudes who went before and those which followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This comes from Psalms 118th to 26th verse. And there's many, many other references that tied Jesus Christ to the Old Testament, tied Jesus Christ to the prophets, and also let me know that God was orchestrating this. God was the one that, that had provided the wisdom for the prophets. As they spoke, they spoke His words. And then as Jesus came in to Jerusalem, he was fulfilling the word, fulfilling the words of the prophet. While Jesus was there, and probably um, the first day, these that are scholars are not always sure if it's the first day or the second day, but probably in the first day. Jesus went into the temple and saw the money changers. They were in the great hall. This hall was for Gentiles that could come in and worship. But this worship place had been turned into a den of thieves. He was outraged. He was outraged. His father's worship place, the temple, into a place for thieves, literally. It is said that those that were the money changers would cheat those that came in from other countries. Because, and they had to have the, the Hebrews coin and means of in order to come in and pay the priest for them so that they would pray, the priest would that the sins would be taken care of. So they were literally exchanging money as they went in the temple. Then they'd get the money, and it had to be the, the money of the, of the Israelites had to be used when they bought the sacrifice like the lambs and the other sacrifices. Shady stuff, 
Jesus saying this is you've turned it into a den of thieves. He was he was so right on target. And in his fury, then he totally just started uh, sweeping the tables clean, letting the doves loose, and uh, letting the goats loose. It was total chaos. This is a very, very important time to the merchants because this is the largest, uh, I want to call it a holiday, it's not a holiday, feast. This is the, the major feast that the Israelites had, so there were more people here than would be any other time. So the merchants are looking forward to having uh, great income during this period of time. So he has, he has thrown them out. He's turned over the tables. And this is another way in which the religious leaders were upset with him because they also received revenue from this. Jesus, while leaving Jerusalem, he saw a fig tree. A fig tree that looked very lumptious, color, and he goes over to get a fig off the tree. And it no fruit. So Jesus then condemns this tree. Make you never have any fruit. In reading this story, I would take this look that he was just happy because so he was upset with it. But in reading I found out that this dress, there's silk, there's shawls, all of them good, but they would not bear fruit. And that is We don't dress up and look good coming to church and seeing who we can visit with and meet for whatever purpose. But he has called you and me to bear fruit for him. There are several of you in here today that are here because someone asked you to come to church. Somebody asked you to give your life to Christ. Somebody invited you. Maybe in the United Supermarket. Individuals have been invited to come to the house of the Lord. And that's very fruit. We are called to bear that fruit. Jesus Christ did not dodge the religious leaders at all. The week that followed Palm Sunday, he is in constant conflict with the religious leaders. When he came in on that donkey, they were well aware that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. So it was not hiding. 
He knew what was waiting for him. He knew on that day what he would be given up. And yet throughout that week, he was in that place. He was talking to them, calling them names like vipers, snakes, the, you know, you evil ones. If you're trying to get along with people, you don't use those kind of Correct. But Jesus did not dodge it. He let the religious leaders know what he thought. And there is no surprise when it came to the mock trial that they would be crucified. Jesus Christ had courage. Courage for him. Had one decision. Like I said, he could have gone over instead of standing at the olive grove. He could have gone over to uh, Bethany and been with his friends. He could have been very difficult to find, but he didn't. He didn't run away because his decision was to save the lives He never made anybody follow him. And ever since that day, the disciples of Jesus Christ, all of us, Jesus Christ, have given ourselves to him, not because we are pressured, not because somebody is, is really uh, chastising us. We come voluntarily to give our life to Jesus Christ. And there have been thousands upon thousands of them voluntarily because they could not turn from their Lord and Master. We would like to give your life today. We encourage you to come forward. If you would like to rededicate your life to this congregation, to be a part of this family, we invite you to come forward at this time. And if you have never given your life to Christ...